TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. An absolute delight and pleasure to welcome to our show Dr. Scott Parazinski, who is a doctor, as I just said, as well as an astronaut, explorer, inventor. Scott, uh, wow, you're a well-rounded guy. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Sue. It's great to be with you. It's so good to be here. Your parents must be so proud of you. Do they ever stop talking about you? <laughs> Well, I think it's a parent's job. You know, as a parent, uh, you, we have to brag about our kids. And so my mom probably overdoes it a little bit. But, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I actually grew up in the shadow of the Apollo program. My dad worked on uh, the Saturn V rocket that first sent men to the moon in the late 60s, early 70s. So, I, you know, that, that's what I grew up aspiring to. And I, I just never grew out of that boyhood dream. And that's a good thing is to lay a positive foundation for the children of the future. And certainly you have taken that inspiration and gone so far with it. Well, you know, life is, is really an amazing gift and an adventure. And so my folks were very adventurous. And, in fact, they decided that they wanted to travel the world. And so as an only kid, it was a little bit easier for them to to pack me up, and, and we ended up living in, in West Africa and in the Middle East and in Europe uh, as I was uh, growing up through my high school years. And, and so for me, you know, life uh, you know, uh, really became a, a true adventure, you know, seeing the, the, the broader world, getting a chance to travel and, and uh, meet new people. When did you first get that passion? I know you come from a, a family that obviously has a devotion to the space program, and, mm -hmm. and that's a very special thing. But uh, what really turned you on about this? Uh, when you looked up at night, or where were you, where you, where you thought, you know what, I'm going there? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I was about five years old. In fact, there's a great picture in, in my book, uh, The Sky Below, that uh, shows me with a, a model rocket that I had built at about age five. And so, you know, in those days, we all grew up, uh, you know, looking to the stars and thinking, well, gosh, you know, I'd love to be an astronaut. Um, it seems so far off. And, and um, but I, I still uh, dreamt of, you know, setting the first boot prints down on Mars back as a five-year-old kid and just kind of never grew out of that, that dream. And, one of the things that I think is is great about our country is that you know we we do have the 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 long view at the ability to to take on uh, big challenges like uh, you know going into space and and uh, so I, I was born at the right time and in, in the right country and uh, have been so you know charmed to be able to to be able to do these things. When John F. Kennedy talked about going to the moon by the by the end of the decade of the 60s. That was such an inspirational thing, and, and it was done. Was, you, was your dad part of that, and in what way? And, and how was he inspired by a, a timeline of, yeah, you know what, we're going to get this done? Americans can do anything, yeah, and I, I still think that that's the case. Um, but back in those days, my, my father had uh, you know, been an ROTC Air Force officer, and uh, he, he wanted to be in pilot, but his eyesight didn't allow it. Um, so I ended up working in uh, their early space uh, command, uh, the the Minuteman uh, rocket program, and uh, after he left the Air Force, he 
he signed on with Boeing and helped uh, design and test the uh, the first stage of the Saturn V rockets, the most powerful rocket ever built by humans. And uh, uh, so for for us, it was just a um, you know, an exciting time to be part of something larger than life. And I, I vividly remember as a seven-year-old kid staying up late and watching Neil and Buzz climb down the ladder and set those first boot prints down on the moon in 1969. I just got the chills on that one. I don't know <laughs> if you did as well, but to just hear uh, you and then, of course, in the future, uh, that became you where you <laughs> you spent eight weeks in space, 47 on spacewalks. That's a tremendous amount of time. Before we get to that, though, you were trained as as a medical doctor mm-hmm. first, right? So right. What, what what were you thinking when you were doing this? Were you thinking, I can have it all. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. Well, I think it's really important to follow your passions. You know, the things that we're most passionate about, you're going to be the most successful at. And, and so I really wanted to have a career where I could help people and... Um, and so I was always fascinated by, by medicine and the capacity to, to cure. And, um, and I knew that uh, the early shuttle astronauts included several uh, physicians in their ranks. And so it was a way for me to pursue something that um, uh, would be a, a great fallback career, if you will. Uh, I knew I would love being a physician as well. I, becoming an astronaut was, was a faraway dream, but uh, uh, it was also a great preparation because we were going to be sending astronauts eventually to, to space stations and hopefully to places like Mars. And, um, and so that was my long view, that I'd, I'd be in a position with the right skill set as an emergency medicine and trauma doctor to, uh, to take care of crews uh, in the most uh, extraordinary place in our, uh, imaginable. When uh, you, you were uh, completing your, your medical training and everything, uh, I guess you think, well, I can have it all, and you did. So you had that career. And uh, how hard was it, or, or what was required of you that you had uh, accumulated in your life that made you a good candidate for the space program? Well, you know, I, I think there are a lot of really wonderfully qualified people, uh, you know, technically for the job. Uh, it requires, uh, the minimum requirements are a bachelor's degree and, and three years of experience in a field related to the space program, be it medicine or engineering or or a hard science like physics or uh, something along those lines. But uh, ultimately, the kinds of people that are selected are people that have uh, a lot of experience working in, in high-functioning teams. You know, it's very much a team sport going up into space. It's It's not a... Uh, an individual pursuit. And so NASA looks for people that, quite honestly, that they'd like to spend uh, you know, up to six months in a can with, you know, so uh, personality, um, willingness to chip in, uh, willingness to learn. And for me, what I really loved about being an astronaut was just every day was a learning experience. Um, I'm not a deep expert in uh, oceanography or planetary geology or combustion physics or any of those kinds of you know, disciplines, but I learned a lot about them so that I could help scientists on the ground conduct their experiments up in space. And so well-roundedness is sort of the, the kind of core requirement of being an astronaut. And I think also resilience and you know, a little bit of uh, MacGyver skills as well, you know, because things do break up there and you have to be able to have your wits about you and, and be willing to 
to work to, you know, figure out a way to fix them. Really? Because you can't run to the Home Depot while you're up there, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a long commute down to Home Depot. Uh, so, you know, you've got to build it with the resources that you have up there with us. And, it, you know, funny story, but uh, probably my very best day on the job ever was getting a chance to go outside on a spacewalk and fix a, a live solar panel. It was a really dramatic uh, recovery, kind of an Apollo 13 uh, day up in space, but you know, you don't want to get anywhere near a solar panel up in space because you can't turn them off. They're they're always generating electricity, and and so brilliant engineers on the ground had figured out a way to to get myself and my spacewalking partner Doug Wheelock out to the very tip of the space station uh, to go fix this thing. But we we couldn't touch the solar panel directly, so we had to develop a whole suite of tools that we had to build with resources that we had aboard the space shuttle and space station complex. Uh, so we had a, a metal workshop up there, and, and uh, other crew members built uh, uh, repairs up there for us to take out on a spacewalk, and um, just a, an extraordinary recovery. Um, were you, did you ever get in a moment, Scott, where you were filled with any kind of anxiety and fear where you thought to yourself, what am I doing here? <laughs> Yeah, actually, on the on the day that I just uh, started to describe there, the solar panel repair day, um, I really had a lot of trepidation. You know, all these amazing people on the ground and, and my fellow crewmates had worked to the point to get uh, myself out to the tip of the space station further than we'd ever traveled before from the safety of our airlock, and it was now on my back to... Uh, to actually put in these repairs and and finish the job, and so my my biggest fear, quite honestly, Sue, is uh, I don't want to let these people down. I don't want to screw up. Um, I, I knew that uh, I could rely upon my training, that I would do things safely, and if it didn't look safe, I would be able to back back away, and, and NASA would come up with an even more brilliant plan, you know, Plan B or Plan C, and we'd come out and try it again. But uh, I, I really didn't think too heavily about my own personal safety. I knew that I would uh, be able to to do the procedures that were uh, sent up to us in a, in a safe manner. How does it uh, physically impact you, Scott, in, in space? I mean, we're, we're thinking about you doing something out there where it's very dangerous and so on and so forth, but even like your physical well-being or your ability to stretch yourself, how, how did that impact some of the the tasks that you had. That's a, that's a great word choice, uh, Sue. Uh, stretching myself is actually one of the things that actually hurt me probably the most in space. So when an astronaut goes up into space, they're no longer crushed by the, the force of gravity. So, you know, your spine actually elongates. You get, you get taller. And so I actually grow two and a half inches. Uh, I, I was six, five and a half up in space, which is really cool until you, until you land. You think, oh, I'm ready for the NBA, but, uh, you know, as soon as you touch down, you're back to your, your pre-launch height um, because of gravity pressing down upon your spine again. And, and so that, that repeated growth and then compression on the spine actually probably set me up for a pretty severe back injury that uh, was manifest when I was climbing Mount Everest in, in 2008. I en- ended up rupturing a, a disc in my low back, um, that was attributed to the, uh, the, the stressors of, of going into space multiple times. Um, but our other long-duration astronauts have other problems as well. Their, their muscles and bones 
weaken substantially. Their heart muscle doesn't have to pump against gravity for for many months at a time. Uh, their balance issues that, that can occur, and even uh, changes in the vision. Um, you think about my buddy Scott uh, Kelly, who spent 340 days up in space. That's a real stressor to the body. Well, maybe you shouldn't climb Mount Everest in the year that you fix the solar panel in space, Scott. Have you ever thought about it? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, no, I never thought about that, but good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you where you were yesterday and what you were up to during our historic eclipse. It was so powerful. I, I had my uh, safety glasses, of course, safety first, but uh, it was really uh, a beautiful view here in Houston. I had a, a about a five-minute uh, unobstructed view. Uh, there were patchy clouds in, in our area, but at, uh, about 60% uh, uh, coverage and uh, really beautiful to see. And, and you know, my, my life has taken me to some extraordinary perspectives. That's one of the fun things about my book, uh, The Sky Below. It's kind of a, a, a fun name, but um, you know, thinking about what would it look like actually to be out on the moon looking back on planet Earth as, as the shadow of the moon was cast on planet Earth. I think that would just be an amazing thing. And I really do hope that in the not-too-distant future, we Americans will you know, really decide to go colonize uh, the moon, set up a permanent presence there, and, and to go places beyond. Yeah, because uh, I would say that uh, you very well know, because of your family history, our deep dedication to the space program, our uh, reverence for it, even with some events like uh, the Challenger disaster, mm -hmm. which, of course, uh, shook the country to the core. And now it, it seems like there might be a little bit of a, a lull mm -hmm. in the program. Do you believe we're going to get uh, wound back up? And, and what will it take? I, I know you're a motivational speaker. So how would you sell uh, the colonization of Mars to the powers that be? Well, great question. You know, I, I think we live in an incredibly exciting time, and in fact, I think we're in a new era of exploration that's that's going to open up the heavens to many more people. Uh, there are companies like Space uh, uh, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and and others that will eventually make it affordable and, and possible for many others, uh, whether they're scientists, engineers, or even tourists, to go travel in space. And I, I do think that. Within our lifetimes, uh, there will be capacities to, to board a space plane, basically, and to leave, um, you know, Baltimore or Washington D.C. I think th those would be the closest, you know, major airports, uh, um, and uh, and be in uh, Tokyo in in 70 minutes, you know, using kind of a suborbital ballistic type of a space plane, um, and so you know, we're we're kind of in the barnstorming era of Earth orbit space travel, and I think that's very, very exciting. It's a, it's a new industry being led by American companies, um, so that's wonderful. But I think NASA really needs to focus on the, the next revolution in, in space, and, and to me that means really pressing the boundaries, uh, challenging ourselves uh, to go back to the moon to stay, and ultimately to explore Mars and even places beyond. There are interesting uh, ice-encrusted moons of our outer planets called Enceladus, uh, Europa, and Titan that have uh, basically icy crust, but then water below and thermal energy below as well. So there actually could be life forms in those environments. And so uh, I, I think really studying 
our solar system in, in greater depth, challenging our technologies to make it safe to, to go visit these places. And every time we, we as Americans press our boundaries like this, take on these types of challenges, we create new technologies, new industries, new jobs, high-paying, you know, important jobs that uh, benefit all of us here on planet Earth. So that's why we go into space. It's, it, it's, a, it's a fraction of, of 1% of our national budget that goes to space, um, but the rewards are multiple fold in, in terms of the return on investment for us Americans. Uh, like I said, new jobs, new industries, but then there's also the inspiration to young people. And I'm, I'm case in point, you know, um, I, I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for the inspiration that I, I had as a kid from the space program. It's so great to hear somebody espouse a message that actually walks the walk, has been there, and uh, gives us a good example of what the possibilities are. Scott Perzinski, what an absolute pleasure and honor it is to speak with you today. Your book is The Sky Below, and uh, I'm, I'm really inspired after this discussion. I hope our audience is as well. Thank you so much, Sue. Really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. We got to fly now. It's 1023. Scott Perzinski's book is The Sky Below. You can also uh, look him up on the internet, and uh, he's a guy who uh, doesn't believe there are limits. He doesn't self-limit by any means, and he often goes out and, and speaks about... Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively... Sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.